It is so good to see you guys here this morning. It really is. Some of us call this uh, church our home church. Probably most of us call us this church uh, their home church. Others might be visiting. Uh, maybe you have a friend or a family here. And perhaps you're here just because it's Christmas, and that's what you do on Christmas. For whatever reason, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to see you. For almost 2,000 years, people have been gathering at Christmas time to celebrate the birth of Christ. Something about that story still kind of captures our attention. You know, year after year after year, it captures our attention. This is how the birth of the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, came about. It wasn't with big fanfare, like you might expect. The head honchos, the rulers, they didn't even know where it was. They had to ask, they had to do some research to figure out exactly where it was going to take place. The local Hilton had no rooms reserved, right? They were full up. If it hadn't been for some angels and a very bright star, no one except for Mary and Joseph would have even known that it had happened. It took outside forces to actually inform people that the birth of our Savior was happening. Nobody knew. From an outside perspective, Jesus' birth is both insignificant and harrowing. In fact, it says, and we can put the verse up there. This is verse 19, or verse 18. It says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' birth doesn't have a happy beginning, right? There's no happy union with a white picket fence thing going on here. It's a very distressing and anxious and sorrowful place. A young, unwed, engaged girl is found to be pregnant and not by her fiancé. Yet, next verse, because Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I wonder what my reaction would have been. Or what your reaction would have been. I wonder what our reactions would have been had we been in Joseph's place. According to the law, Joseph should have publicly declared uh, Mary's unfaithfulness, and she probably would have been stoned to death um, publicly for adultery. But he doesn't do that. Sometimes when we're slighted, we exercise our right to go onto our Facebook feed and destroy the characters of those who have offended us so that everybody might join us in throwing stones at them. Ah, I hate it when scripture like gets all contemporary with me, right? Joseph had every reason to believe that Mary was committing adultery, that he was cheating on her, or that she was cheating on him. But he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. He refused to act out of anxiety and sorrow. Joseph didn't use the excuse of his pain to justify sacrificing his character on an altar of revenge. I'm going to say that again because there's a lot there. Joseph did not use the excuse of his pain to sacrifice his altar or to sacrifice his character on an altar of revenge. Some people act out of the weakness of their woundedness. Joseph acted out of the strength of his compassion. I want to say that we're living in a time of great anxiety and fear, of brokenness and woundedness. About, gosh, it must have been 10 months ago, uh, there was a uh, justice of the Supreme Court that was confirmed by Congress, and there was some controversy over uh, 
this judge about his character, about past wrongs or, or not, alleged past wrongs. And I got up the day after on Sunday, and I don't know if you know, remember what I said, but I'm going to say the same thing because this last week we, uh, Congress voted to impeach the current president. And I said this then, and I'm going to say it today. Recognize the fact that there are people around you who might be in mourning today. There's some among us who might be rejoicing over this, but there's some of us that also might be in mourning over this. Recognize that. What is your responsibility to those around you? Right? For those who are mourning, don't take this opportunity to destroy the people around you. Don't act out of the woundedness of your character. Right? Act out of the strength of your compassion. And for those of you who might be rejoicing, don't take this moment to tear down the people around you. Act out of a strong character of compassion. That's what being in a family is all about. That's what being in a church is all about. How many of you guys have family members that have different political views than you do, other than just me? Most of us. (laughs) And yet somehow we're able to love each other. That's what we need more of, people. And if us as a society are ever going to get to a place of peace, of true harmony with one another... It's going to take compassion instead of anger. It's going to take love instead of hatred. And that starts here. It starts with us. So recognize the fact that there might be some of us who are rejoicing and there might be some of us who are mourning. And deal with that accordingly. Out of strength. Out of compassion. Okay? That's an aside. That's for free. God is looking for those righteous ones who will act out of compassion and not out of revenge. Joseph knew that God justifies the righteous. He didn't have to stand up and point his finger at Mary. He didn't have to drag her into the public square and crucify her in front of everyone. He recognized that God justifies the righteous. In fact, it says here in the next verse, after he had considered this, after he had considered this, right? Not when he first saw Mary pregnant. Not when he was still kind of figuring out what he was going to do. After he had considered this, after he had resolved in his heart that he was going to have mercy on Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He had to wait until after. He had resolved to act out of compassion before he could get an explanation for the pain that he was feeling. That's what character does. Character holds out on judgment, acts with compassion first, and then finds the explanation afterwards. Four times during the Jesus' birth narrative in Matthew and in Luke, four times angels appear and they say the same thing. They say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus came at a time to a people and a place that were living in fear. I wonder if that's why we also feel a bit drawn to this story. Perhaps it's because, like Joseph, we are a people living in fear. Perhaps it's because fear and worry have come to dominate this world, rule over us, and into our worry, the angel of the Lord appears. And the angel comes to us at Christmas and says, Mi phobithis, no tengas miedo. Do not be afraid. This world might be full of fear, but our God is the God of hope. 
El Dios de Esperanza. This world may be full of hatred, but the love of God is always going to win the day. Do not be afraid. Aren't, aren't, can't you go to the store? Right? You can go to Mini Pet Mart. I live near Mini Pet Mart. You can buy mice for like a buck a piece. Right? Did you know that not a single mouse dies without your father knowing, heaven knowing about it? Don't you know that every hair on your head is numbered? So don't be afraid. You're worth so much more to God than mice. He sees you. And that cheesy line that sometimes Christians overuse a bit, Jesus loves you, what it actually is is it's a way of saying Jesus is on your side, God is on your side. He's not against you. He's for you. He's looking to birth something powerful and peaceful in your life, in your heart, and in this world. He's looking to give us new life. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Joseph. Mary carries a gift from God, which will be for all peoples. She will give birth to a son. Next verse. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is what draws us back, I think, year after year. We wait, we watch, we hope. We see a baby born of a virgin girl. We ask ourselves, is this him? Could this be him? In Psalm 130, the psalmist says this. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will save Israel from all their sins. It's the reference for this verse here. Yes, Yes. Yes, friends. Yes, world. Yes. This child of hope, birthed in a time of fear, even this baby that we've come here to celebrate, God has made him both Lord and Christ, says Peter. He is the son of the living God, and he will save us from our sins. He will provide for us the kind of life that we need. He will lead us into the kind of peace that we can't attain of ourselves. Recognize that when people who are led by the peace of God begin to allow the love of God to flow through them, it changes societies. It changes the world. It's when we decide, when we decide to set aside the peace of God, to set aside God's hope, and to begin to generate our own peace, begin to put our hope in ourselves, begin to seek money and power and glory for ourselves. That's when we find ourselves in the place that we are today, a place of fear and anxiety. In God's kingdom, there is no fear. In fact, Scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. When we abandon the love of God, We shouldn't be surprised when fear begins to work its way in. 2,000 years later, we still need a Savior. We still need Jesus. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know exactly why you're all here. I have a vague idea. We have 150 donuts downstairs. That might have something to do with it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like Winnie the Pooh. But we still need Jesus. 
I'm glad you came. I'm glad you came. The reality is that what we truly need in this world is the same thing we've always needed, and that is a Savior, somebody to rescue us, somebody to make it better. For those who are not familiar with God at all, you need a Savior. For those who are no longer on speaking terms with God, you need a Savior. For those who got dragged here, and for those who came here out of a force of habit, you need a Savior. For those of you who wake up every day and have a conversation with God, guess what? You need a Savior. Those of us who know Him intimately, you need a Savior. I need a Savior. We need a Savior. It has been said that the ground at the foot of the cross is the most level ground in the world. Because we all come here with an equal need and an equal opportunity. We need a Savior. We need a Savior, and He has come for us. He is Christ the Lord. At Christmas, God came to be Emmanuel, God with us, here with us, not there, but here. And we're going to end our time together. It's a short reflection. I want to give us a lot of time to talk and have fun and experience the joy of Christmas together. But uh, I want to extend also an invitation. And this is not an invitation that's limited to a certain number of people here. It's not an invitation to join our church, although we will have membership classes in the next few weeks. But the invitation I'm offering today is not an invitation to join our church. It's an invitation that God initiated at the birth of Christ. It's not to be baptized. It's not to tithe It's not to join our ministries. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. Not a preacher. Not a church. Not a set of rules. A man born of a virgin. A Lord. Who lived a life of love and compassion. In the face of hatred and evil. Who refused to sacrifice other people when he could have, who stood up to harsh authority, who inaugurated a kingdom of love and of peace. I'm interested in following that man. I'm interested in following him. Folks, I'm interested in following him more than I'm interested in being part of the Foursquare Church. I'm interested in following him more than interested in being in any church. You could take away all these churches and I would still follow him. I'm interested in Jesus. And today you have an invitation as well to follow Jesus, to follow him into your own life. And what that means for you, I don't know exactly. It might mean different things for different people. But it means one thing for everybody. And that is when Jesus comes, like he came to Matthew, the tax collector, sitting in his tax booth, and he says to Matthew, come, follow me. Matthew stands up. He leaves everything behind. And he follows Jesus. Maybe he didn't quite know why in that moment. Maybe he was drawn by Jesus' charisma or something like that. But after a life of living and working alongside Jesus and then writing this gospel, writing this account of Jesus' life, and being a missionary and a leader in the early church, after a life of all those things, Matthew died for his faith. 
And I guarantee you, he did not regret one day of it. And I want to encourage you, if there's any part of your life which you have not yet handed over to Jesus and said, be my Lord, be my master, take this time today to do it. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask John to come up, and he's going to pray a prayer of blessing for us as we kind of wrap up and come to a close. And while I'm praying, can I send, uh, Amy, can you go down and, and let the kids come on up? And we're going to sing a few songs to close out. But would you just close your eyes with me? Lord, we come before you today. Not as a church, although we are here, but as people, simply as people. And we come to the foot of the cross where we find that we have a need, a need for our lives, a need for our community, and a need for this world. Lord, we need a Savior. And God, insofar as you came at Christmas to be our Savior, and insofar as you are for us and not against us, and insofar as you have reserved a place for each of us at your table, God, if there's anyone here today who needs to say, Lord, I will follow you, I pray that you would give them the strength now to pray that even in their own heart.